Nehemiah. Does anyone need a Bible? Bible, anyone? If you do, raise your hand. Bible. Nehemiah going through the Old Testament chapter by chapter. Verse by verse. I think we have a Bible in the back there. Mr. Hopper. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we just thank you for this book and uh, everything it brings to us, Lord, your word. And Father, we come here this evening to, Lord, just uh, out of obedience, opening up your your word and not to neglect it and to have our hearts changed by the word even as it's just spoken to our hearts, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Father, you just do a work in and among us this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, you know, the... Uh, there's nothing to do with Nehemiah, but the guy who started the World Series, Game 3, last night is older than me. I'm 45. He's older than me. So I don't know. Do you think, do you think I should make a run at the Major League Baseball? My, Sam said, you know, he's had a lot more practice than me, but I, I say my arm is a lot more rested been rested for 25 years. Anyway, that is, that's pretty amazing. I, I was amazed by that. And he pr- pitched a great game. Unfo- he would have won, unfortunately. The guy who relieved for him sort of blew it. But the Phillies won anyway. But uh, anyway, remarkable thing. Sorry, I just had to say that uh, about this guy. Incredible. Okay, Nehemiah. We've been away for a couple weeks and... If you remember, this book and the one preceding it are about the Israelites returning from Babylon. They had been exiled from Jerusalem. The Jews had, uh, many Jews had actually been killed after uh, the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom was established, the Messianic kingdom uh, with, the, with David, King David. There was... In, uh, for a few hundred years, there were good kings, there were bad kings. Along the way, there was a civil war. The northern kingdom went one way. The southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, went another. And, uh, but after years and years and years of, of sending prophets to them to warn them, look, you cannot continue in this behavior just because you're children of Abraham doesn't mean God changes the rules for you. Uh, you're going to, there's going to be great judgment. Uh, they, they didn't listen. Their hearts hardened and they rebelled against the Lord. And they were exiled to Babylon. And then after 70 years, uh, they came back. And the uh, emperor, Persian Emperor Cyrus, who had taken over from the Babylonians, he defeated them, uh, made a decree for the Jews to return to Jerusalem to build the temple. And that is what the book of Ezra is about. And the book of Nehemiah is, uh, happens about 9 to 12 years uh, after uh, the, uh, the people 
had actually completed the temple, and that's about rebuilding the walls. And you know, I spent a lot of time talking about this this subject, but it's just so important that we saw a lot of warfare, a lot of spiritual warfare, and, and warfare associated with rebuilding the temple. But we saw much, much more when it came to rebuilding the walls of uh, around Jerusalem. And I, th- I just think, I absolutely am convinced that there is a parallel, that though there is a lot of warfare that tries to prevent someone from becoming a child of God and becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit, even as even as the, the temple was built in re- Jerusalem, there's a lot of warfare for that to happen. There's even much more warfare associated with building our walls, building the walls of, of maturity, of spiritual maturity in our life. And, and Pastor Greg and Pastor Scott and I were just praying, really crying out to the Lord last night for the newer believers uh, in our midst and never to keep anyone who is new in Christ constantly in prayer because as we have seen in Nehemiah there's so much warfare associated when a new believer comes into the kingdom and and they're fresh and there's joy and and, and things like that but uh, just as we saw it's just a it's a lesson this whole thing and we're going to talk more about it tonight on spiritual warfare on how the enemy attacks uh, you know, f- first in Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, it was uh, the, the enemies uh, of the people, uh, uh, Sambalat and Tobiah, that's right, bad guys. Uh, they First they just uh, despised and laughed at them, then they came in and they actually uh, threatened war against them in, in chapter 4, and then in chapter 6, they had failed at that, so they tried to negotiate. And this is where, oh boy, so many new believers get in trouble where the Lord is the Holy Spirit's trying to rebuild the, the, build up the walls um, um, you know, of, of their spirit maturity, and, and, the, and, and Satan comes in with some kind of compromise. Hey, you know, what about doing this activity? Which, yeah, it'll take you away from the body of Christ a little, but you know, uh, it'll be it'll it'll you know be good for you. You'll make a little bit more money, or or you know, what about uh, you know, you can get a promotion here at your job. Yeah, you won't be able to go to church on Sunday morning or home fellowship, but come on, you know, you need to live, and 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 that's exactly what happened in in Nehemiah chapter six, and then. Uh, later on in Nehemiah chapter 6, there, uh, after Nehemiah, by the way, doesn't give in to any of this. It's the big distinction between the book of Ezra and, and Nehemiah. Ezra, you do see compromise there, where the Jews compromised um, and, and basically stopped. They were, they, they were so scared by these guys uh, in Ezra, that uh, who those enemies that came against them, they stopped for a period, I think, of 12 years until the prophet Haggai came and Zechariah and started getting in their face. And then they got off their cans and started working on the temple again, beautifying the temple. Um, but uh, in, in Nehemiah, he always resisted. He always resisted. Uh, but then uh, once the nego- you know, Nehemiah refused to negotiate with these two guys, uh, then what did they do? They started basically using deceiving spirits, false prophets, a whole host of them, men and women, 
to come in saying, oh, I tell you and I speak to you in the name of the Lord and started telling them lies. Um, uh, and, and Nehemiah, he was a, he's a godly man and he knew exactly what was going on. And so we'll see again later on tonight, uh, yet again, some more warfare. They do wind up finishing the walls and remember what we talked about, how, why the walls were so important in Jerusalem. It's because people couldn't go into the temple and worship because they were so scared of their enemies coming in. They were so afraid of their enemies coming in. They were, weren't really, you know, the temple was there, but they, they, they were so given into fear that they weren't growing at all as, a, as the people of God. And it's like that with a new believer. They may get saved, but man, you can stay for years and years and years and years uh, just as an immature babe in Christ filled with fears, filled with uh, insecurity, filled with uh, worries and, and things like that. And, you know, because you're, you, you, you know, you haven't, the walls haven't been built up in your Christian life. You haven't ever uh, been able to sus- have a sustained time in the Word of God. You haven't built up Christian relationships. You haven't developed discipline when it comes to coming to, to, to church and Bible study, mostly Bible study in your own life is how the Lord uh, builds up our, our walls. And so, uh, once the walls were built, uh, there was a great rejoicing. And in chapter uh, 8, we see the, the, that rejoicing. In chapter 9, once there's this rejoicing, uh, the people are realize, wow, how far short they had come um, from the standard of God. And they confessed their sin throughout chapter 9. They go through the whole history of Israel and how many shortcomings uh, they had had. And they just con- uh, confessed their sin. And then in chapter 10, what happens here is that a group of uh, people make a covenant before the Lord, a covenant to follow Him. Now that their walls are built, they make a covenant to follow them. And I won't read all the names but you'll see the names there, verses 1 through 27. Then it says in verse 28, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim. Who are the Nethanim? Test here. Who are they? What's that? And we have a marital fight going on here. They are the people who were the, uh, who had, remember their descendants had the Gibeonites had deceived Joshua, they became servants of, the, uh, of Israel. And over time, they were such good servants, David made them keepers of the temple. And so that's, I'm going to keep on testing you guys on who the Nethanim were. So uh, anyway, uh, and, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, it says that these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Um, I think we may have discussed this a couple of weeks ago. When it, they entered into a curse and entered into an oath, that's not like a witchcraft thing. That's a direct reference to, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 29, where they had, where Moses, before the children of Israel went into the land. They were on the other side of the Jordan. Moses presented to them blessings if they obey the law and cursings if they uh, disobey the law. And actually, 
once they got into Israel, there was two mountains, and they used to, one set of, of the Israelites would get on one mountain, the other would get on the other mountain, and one would shout out the blessings, and one would shout out the cursing, and it, cursings. And it was just a reminder of, of the consequences of either, uh, or the great blessings and benefits of obeying the law, or the uh, consequences of disobeying the law. So they, they enter into um, a covenant here. And it says they, verse 28, they separated themselves. They separated themselves uh, uh, from the people of the land. And it is, so, it is so important that we are separate. We're a separate people. This morning we talked about how we are a peculiar people. And this is just simply a teaching from the beginning to the end of the Bible. We talked out this morning about what makes us peculiar. One thing in particular, it's trusting the Lord in times of great calamity. In fact, being well pleased with a time of great calamity because of just... We're finally at a place where we've released things to God because they've gotten so bad we can't do anything about them. And so um, we talked about that this morning. Um, but, you know, there's just also here more the context is just in the area of morality, separating yourself from the world. And when we're, we're serious about uh, God, we will look at and, and offering our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, you know, the Bible says in First Corinthians, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a, a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And actually there, it's just quoting Second Samuel. There's quoting the Old Testament there, the Apostle Paul. But, you know... Offering our lives as living sacrifices, and that's what Nehemiah is telling him to do. Separate yourselves from the people of the land. The people of the land had been drawing in them into all kinds of sin. And, you know, the people of the land, just here in Massachusetts and Boston, they will draw you into sin. They'll draw me into sin with whatever entertainment uh, that, that, you know, they happen to be, that happens to be popular with, you know, whatever's going on in their music scene. They will draw you in. The Bible says become separate. And you say, well, uh, does, aren't we supposed to be uh, witnessing to people and being uh, uh, in the world? Well, yes, we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And some, some people say, well, then, you know, I'm just going to go hang out uh, at bars and uh, be a part of the, uh, a part of the, the, the world. And, and to that I say, well, you know something? Uh, that's fine. If you go, I'm all for you going into a bar uh, as long as you're going there for a purpose, as long as you are going in there and you are, we've talked about this before, a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Now, a thermostat changes the temple, uh, rather than <laughs> changes the temperature. So if you're a thermostat and you go into, into a bar and you start witnessing to people and rebuking them and, 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 and sharing them the love of Christ, and all of a su- sudden, uh, the, the temperature of everyone else is coming to where you are, in other words, spiritually, uh, that's a great thing. Go to your bars. 
However, if you're a thermometer, uh, you just go into the bar of a thermometer and you're just becoming the temperature of everyone else and you find yourself going in there and, and start, you know, you, you find your heart start, starts to harden, you, you start getting cold in your heart, you start doing the same things you are doing, then you're not, you, you're, you're not only in the world, you're of the world. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, here Nehemiah is, is calling them and they're making a, uh, a, a, a pledge to be separate because the people of the surrounding nations were just drawing them in into all kinds of uh, gook, ugliness. And, and it was just compromising their witness. Remember, the Israelites were raised up to be a light to the nations, and that's why, that's why they're called a peculiar people. And that's in, in the New Testament, as we read this morning, we're called a peculiar people, First Peter, also in Titus. And so they make a covenant to be separate. Verse 30, we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every deed. And so, actually, Jeremiah gives one of the reasons they were exiled. He gave, if you remember, the fact that they had ignored the Sabbath and the Sabbath year. And that was a, a contract uh, between Israel and God that every seventh year they would l lay the land to rest. But what was happening is that you know, they were thinking, wow, just think how much money I can make, extra money in this, in this seventh year. It doesn't make any sense uh, to, uh, to, um, to let it rest. And you know, I think of the upcoming elections and the, the fact that the economy is just the number one issue and on everyone's mind or the majority of people's mind. Well, you know, it's not supposed to be so. <laughs> it, it, it's plain and simple. That, um, that righteousness is, is the number one is, uh, issue. Verse 32, And also we made ordinances for, for ourselves to uh, exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And then it gives, goes through in verse 35, And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the trees, verse 36, and firstborn of our sons, meaning, remember, that's the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy where they didn't, they didn't, of course, sacrifice their son, but they brought their firstborn and they offered, gave money uh, instead. And, and verse 37, to bring the first fruits of the dough. And, and it, 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 you know, goes on from there, the ties of our land. And so uh, they, they just go on. And then in verse 39, it says, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offerings of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are are where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Anytime there is a revival, the churches start being built up, not only with people, but also just physically. People are like, wait, we need to have a building that works. It doesn't fall apart when we're in it. You know, and, and, and they give the first fruits um, to, to, to make sure that happens. And so, interesting development here in chapter 11. So, 
the walls are built around Jerusalem, and then there apparently here is an issue that though the laws are built in chapter 11, uh, people are not really keen to move into Jerusalem. And so they actually had to cast lots. And they're like, well, fine that the walls are built, but uh, I'm like, okay, just staying where I am right here. And it's unclear exactly why, but perhaps it's just the responsibility of moving into Jerusalem. A lot needed to be rebuilt. Um, I, I think quite likely it's just because the temple was so close to their daily life and, it, and, and there was just this carnal thing. Is that I don't want that daily reminder of how, of how wicked I am and I, I, you know, I'd rather live out on the fringe uh, and I don't want to go in. Others may have felt that they were comfortable where they are. They just did not want to relocate. And so it says in verse 1, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And then it says in verse 2, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So you have one out of ten, you were basically, it's like the army, you know, you're drafted and you've got to go to Jerusalem. Uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but then there was people who just really felt called and they freely, willingly uh, went in there. And, you know, I, I think uh, that what's going, one of the things that was probably going on here is that they had a, you know, they, they loved the fact and there was lots of rejoicing that the walls were rebuilt, but most of the people were like, well, you know, I like the safety of these walls. When the enemies come around, we can hide out inside these walls, but I like to be able to like go back to outside the walls to my house, uh, you know, when things cool down a little. And, you know, this uh, really does happen a lot in the context of church. In fact, um, you know, we, we counsel people like this. They, they love to come to church because there's a warmth here, there's a refreshing here. They feel different when they come here. But they don't want to give their life to Jesus. They don't want to just give him the throne of their life. And it, it, it's like this. It's, it's, they want... They, want, they like the safety of the walls, but they don't want to relocate. <laughs> and, you know, God's calling us not only, to, not only to sort of experience the warmth, but he's calling us to make an utter, total, complete relocation of our life. That's what happens when someone gives their life to Jesus. And I got to tell you, this is no small issue. I think of Hebrews chapter 6. There's another one of those chapters. Hebrews chapter 6. Ooh, you know, like Second Peter chapter 2, book of Jude. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. 
For the earth which drinks in the rain and often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those uh, by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. That's talking about unsafe people. So I believe very much in the security of the believer. When Jesus saves someone, he has a successful operation on their heart. But here you see, it says they've tasted, verse 5, of the word of God. They have become partakers, verse 4, uh, in, of the Holy Spirit. They have been enlightened, but they just reject it. They don't want to be relocated. And how do I know this is talking about unbelievers? Well, it talks about their th- uh, fruit. Jesus says wisdom will be justified by their children. And it says right there um, in verse 8, but if it, if, it be briar, if it bears thorns and briars, talking about someone who's never been saved, no fruit in their life. Someone, James says, if there's real faith, works will follow. There'll be, um, there'll be fruit that follow. But, the, you know, it's a serious thing when you just, you're into sort of, you know, Going to the church when there's problems, and there's plenty like this, right? After 9-11, all the churches started overflowing. Within a year, they started emptying out again. There's plenty like this. But God wants a relocation. Uh, he wants a relocation of our heart. Major surgery is, that it is what he wants. And so they go through a list of names of the people who had been brought into Jerusalem. We don't know who was drafted and went there against their own will and who, um, who went in there willingly. We don't know. It, it doesn't say here. Um, but it's, it's good to, to, to read in your time. Verse 22 says, And also the overseer of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi. There's a name for you. The son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Mika. We know a Mika in Haiti. Of the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for singers a quota day by day. That sounds awesome. So the singers were, you know, really part of the temple worship. They were there day by day. And then, it, interestingly enough, in verses 25 and through 36, it then lists the people who did not come into Jerusalem, although it doesn't list their names. It just lists their, it just lists their families there, the tribes. And you may say, well, why didn't they list the names? Well, it may be because there's so many of them. But another, it could be, is that God is really honoring the people at the beginning of the chapter by putting their names for all attorney of people who were willing to not only just go in the gates every once in a while, but they were willing to go and occupy and embrace everything who God was and be close to, to the temple of God and be convicted of their wickedness. We need that so we can cry out and, and praise God for the, for the blood of Jesus uh, who covers all our sins. And so the names of the people who are listed are in this chapter, but the names of the people who, ref, uh, who refuse to come inside the gates, they're not named. And you may ask, well, why are, people's, uh, why are people, 
people's names recorded in this chapter who went inside Jerusalem, but they went, a, a lot of them went against their will, right? I mean, they were drafted like the army and they were forced in. But we don't know who they were. I mean, some of them were that and others went willingly, but it doesn't say here which of the ones went willingly and which of the ones went against, were basically compelled to go. And, and I do think there's a lesson in that, you know? And I, I think I talk about this quite frequently that, you know, if you have a, if God has called you to serve him in a certain way, but you recognize that there's some pretty nasty motives in your heart, or even if like Pastor Scott says, hey, I need to do, do something, you just, you know, eh, I'll just do it, and, uh, and you recognize that you're doing it under compulsion, but you know, at the end of the day, just do it. <laughs> Just do what, what, what the Lord is, is telling you to do. And because my experience is, is that God will sort out your motives. And guess, how, guess what? When he's given out crowns of righteousness, when he's listing names like he does here, there's not going to be any distinction between the people who started off with the wrong motive or under compulsion and people who did it willingly. I mean, it's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Nehemiah's name means comforter, which is, a, uh, which is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to clean out our motives and get us serving right. And no one ever does anything with an absolutely pure motive because we're sinners. And, and, and here, you know, they're listed there, and a lot of them went there under compulsion. And, you know, you think about, there's another chapter 11 that's very famous, uh, with a list of people, Hebrews chapter 11. And it lists a bunch of people in there, you know, and you just look at them, man, why are these guys uh, named here? In Hebrews chapter 11, you have this guy, Barak, who's basically hiding behind the skirts of Deborah, you know, not a very courageous, manly guy. I don't think his motives were that good. But the guy is in Hebrews chapter 11. You have Jephthah. You know, he, he, he was a guy who said, you know, I'm going to go out to battle and, and uh, if I win this battle, the first thing that comes through my door when I come back, uh, I'll give them up as a burnt offering. I mean, how foolish was that? His daughter winds up coming through the door and, and he has to basically give up his daughter as a burnt offering. A terrible, terrible thing. Shows you a lot about what the life was in Israel during the book of Judges. Gideon, just the way that he was. And, you know, if you look at the life of Gideon, just in the beginning and the end, I mean, he was doing some strange things. Samson, in, the, in Hebrews, chapter 11. And so... Be very, very careful, you know. Well, you know, I have this little bit of me that's a that's the wrong motive, so I'm going to stay out of ministry. Well, you know, you and everyone else. God took these people and He recorded their names for all eternity, and by far the most of them went because they were drafted. <laughs> and so, I think a lesson for us there. Chapter 12 begins another list. It's the list of the Le- of the Levites and the priests actually, who had first come uh, many, many years before under Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel? Is that right? It means 
stranger in Babylon. And uh, the priest who had come up there, there's another list here. And then in verse 27, you see a dedication um, of the wall. And this is just a glorious set of verses here. Just an incredible set of verses. And it is a picture of what God wants for in for your life and in your life. This is it. This is what he wants. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, verse 27, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the Netophanites. Ooh, something like that. Ooh, that's a hard one. Verse 29, from the house of Gilgal and from the fields of Geba and Asmatheth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So what's up with that, Greg? The musicians, like, building villages for themselves? Are you guys, like, antisocial? Just... just build up towns for yourself i mean this is that's a strange little verse <laughs> i never really saw before um singers building for themselves villages but they left and they came into jerusalem for the celebration then the priests and the levites purified themselves and purified the people the gates and the walls so i brought this is nehemiah speaking i brought the leaders of judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs one went to the right hand on the wall towards the refuse gate. And so he got this huge parade of people and they put them up on the wall and they're walking around on the wall. Verse 38 says that the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall. So there's these two large processions there on the wall praising God. <laughs> And, and do you guys remember, was it um, Tobiah who had said, one of them said, you know, they were mocking the people who were building the wall. And he says, even if you build the wall, if a fox, if you build that wall, even if a fox walks on top of it, it will collapse under its weight. Well, here you have hundreds of people walking on the wall, <laughs> praising God, and uh, just this wonderful, wonderful picture here. And then it says uh, here in verse 42, also uh, list some names there. Then towards the end of the verse, it says, The singers sang loudly. I hope, especially you guys in here who mumble through worship, will be convicted. It says, They sang loudly. You know, the men, they, you know, we go up to men's retreats and we just blow the roof off of the different places, you know, that we've been in, and, you know, we come back here, and, oh, no, a girl may see me. I better mumble or whisper, the, you know, but, but, you know, here is the example. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, we go to the, um, the pastor's retreat. So, um, every year I bring some guys to the pastor's conference, rather, not a retreat, a conference down in Maryland. A thousand guys singing at the top of their lungs. It is unbelievably powerful. Unbelievably powerful. 
when we go down there. It just blows me away. It really does. It's just such a wonderful thing. And of course, you know, women, you need to sing loud too. <laughs> uh, and, and then it says in verse 43, And that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. What a great picture. What a great picture of a peculiar people, a separated people. The world is, you know, what did Jesus, it says there, in, is it Matthew chapter 9, where he looked over the multitude, he saw that they were distressed and harassed. That's how the world is. And what a picture it is when the world can look at the church and hear the joy. It says, the joy was heard. Not their voices. The joy was heard. There's a difference between just hearing voices and hearing joy. And just what a, what a, just a wonderful uh, picture here. Verse 44. Uh, you know, the, the Bible does say that the, in, in Romans 7, 14, 17, it's one of my favorite verses, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drink. E- eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about memorizing rules. As someone who's walking in the Spirit, they run in the path of the Lord's commands. <laughs> but the commands isn't what it's about. It's, it's about righteousness, peace, and joy uh, in the Holy Spirit. And when, there, and when our life lacks joy, we don't need to be condemned, but we do need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what's up with this? I know this is not your will for my life. I know this isn't your will. Verse 44, And at that same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the city and portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. So then somehow they were rejoicing over the the people who served. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. You know, there is something about opening up our mouths and just singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord. It does something to our hearts. It does something to our hearts when we we just sing. That's why worship is so important. In Isaiah chapter 54, it says, Sing, O barren woman, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cried aloud, you who have not labored with child. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In other words, before before you feel like it, you need to open up your mouths and start to sing. <laughs> That's what it's saying to do. So when we come into church and, you know, Greg or Albert or Rich or whoever is telling us, Okay, time to start singing. A lot of times you may not feel like it. The Bible says open your mouth anyway. Sing, O barren man, O barren woman. 
And, and, and so it, it's not just singing when, when we feel like it. Of course, the worship team. Do you think that the worship team, every time they come up here, feels like singing? <laughs> if you do, you are wrong. <laughs> but they do so out of obedience, and I think I can speak for all of them, uh, that you know, so oftentimes what happens is that during the time of worship, something happens to their heart. And just the Holy Spirit uh, takes over. And so um, it's the same thing with really any kind of ministry. It's, 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 we need to be doing it by faith. But what a, what a, a great picture of, of um, just of, 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 of worship and joy and, and, and just God's plan for our lives. And, you know, there is a... Um, there's a cult that uh, has been very strong here in Boston, actually throughout the United States and the world, that, that doesn't believe in musical instruments in the, in the church service because they say there's no mention of it in the New Testament. And, you know, be so very careful about making rules based upon silence. There's so many mentions of mention of of musical instruments in the Old Testament, as we saw in verse 27. It says there were cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. By the way, there is mention of an instrument in the New Testament. It's in Revelation, I think, is it chapter 14? They talk about harps. They talk about trumpets. And if someone says, well, you know, that's heaven. We're on earth. What does Jesus say to pray? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and it's it's just pure legalism and it's 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 doing a, an extremely inappropriate separation of the old testament and the new to say well in the old testament they could use stringed instruments but in the new or any other instrument in the new you can't that's so much damage how much have you guys learned about grace reading through the old testament I, I, it has completely revolutionized my whole understanding of God's grace and his mercy by reading through the Old Testament. And any time you bring that much division between the two books, you're heading in a wrong path. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's not like the most important issue in the world. But, I, I, you know, when I, when I see rules like that, the first thing I know, the first thing I always say to myself, you know, behind, you know, where that rule has come from, there's a lot more. <laughs> Whenever someone comes up with some goofy thing like that, there's a lot more behind it, a lot of other rules behind it. And uh, that is, you know, like we were talking about this morning, we're talking about here. Jesus said, if the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. There's a freedom of being born again, you know, by God's Spirit here. And so um, this wonderful picture of rejoicing. Now, don't you read something like this and, and just think, wow, you know, I wish I could just, we could just be like this with this incredible mind-boggling head rush worship thing going on and just never stop. Well, the problem is, is that, you know, but until Jesus returns, until he establishes himself um, here on earth again, we're, we have new bodies, there's, and, 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 and until he chains up Satan, 
which is going to happen, um, there's always going to be spiritual warfare and there's always going to be problems. So that's exactly what happens in chapter 13. Nehemiah, between chapters 12 and 13, he had returned. Remember, he was a cupbearer for the king. Was it Artaxerxes? And that was a very powerful position. So sometime after, we don't know the period of years between chapter 12 and 13, but we know that he had returned to uh, Persia. And it says on that day they read from the book of Moses in, in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, They had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but uh, hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they read the law, they had separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. And so, you know, you shouldn't get this impression reading these three verses that this is like some genocide thing going on here. What this was, was the... What was happening here after Nehemiah had left, had left, and we're going to read a lot more about it in this chapter, was that you know the Israelites had disobeyed the Lord. Uh, he had told them to the, the sin of the people of the of Canaan had reached such incredible depths before Joshua and, and his army came in. There was child sacrifice going on. There was unbelievable rampant. Um, Sexual immorality was a part of temple worship, and the Lord had told them to wipe the people out. And if you don't, they're going to wind up being a snare to you. They will get you involved in the same kind of sin. Well, they didn't do that. And that's what's going on yet again in the first three verses uh, that, that appears to have been exactly what had been going on again. And so they, once again, they separated themselves, or they separated all that mixed multitude uh, uh, from Israel. The Ammonites, if you remember, they when they were, I believe they were marching towards the promised land, they refused to help Israel. And then, um, uh, the, is it the Moabites and the Midianites um, hired out Balaam to, to curse uh, Israel? And eventually, uh, Balaam got uh, the... the, the um, Balaam got Balak to lure them into sexual morality and into to, to start worshiping foreign gods and they were defeated that way. And so God takes that, you know, when people come against his children, he takes it awfully seriously and had told them that they needed to keep separate from these people. And so that that's, you know, they were basically, the Israelites were going the, the sort of in the downward spiral again because of the practices of the Ammonites and the Moabites. And he says, look, these people need to be removed. Verse 4, now before this, Eliashib, the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for Tobiah a large room 
where previously they had stored grain offerings, the frankincense, articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings of the priests. So what is going on here? Remember I was talking before about all the different kinds of spiritual warfare, the different kinds of ways Satan will attack you? And I told you I would come back to this. Well, here we go again. So the gates, all that warfare that we read about earlier was before was to prevent the gates from going up in the first place. Well, here you have the, the warfare just continuing once the gates are already up again. And, and th- once the gates are up, you have this guy, Tobiah, who had mocked the people of God when they were trying to restore the walls, who had uh, fought against them, had tried to negotiate uh, with them, had... Uh, in, in order to lure them away from what they were doing, had sent false prophets and prophetesses to him. Nehemiah takes off. This guy weasels his way back into, into inside the walls, into the life of the uh, of the people of Jerusalem, and they take this room, which was meant to store up stuff, you know, grain and and wine and other stu- and, and other things like that for the Levites. They emptied it out and they give this th- this guy. A room, this chamber room. And, and, you know, this is exactly, again, you know, once our walls are rebuilt, we need to be so careful that we don't go, grow comfortable in our walk with the Lord because Satan wants to come right in again and occupy some room, some compartment of your life. And so, so many Christians, you know, after they've been walking for a while, all of a sudden they fall into some, some kind of thing where Satan, you know, takes captive some room in their life and they think that they can sort of compartmentalize the sin and put it out of the way. No one will know about it. It's this hidden temple room, just like the one here. But it always winds up being exposed. It w- always winds up uh, being a problem. And so Nehemiah finds out about this Uh, Verse 6, it says, uh, During all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I obtained leave from the king. I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And so, you know, there's sometimes in your life where you just don't mess around. You have to do major surgery in your life. You know, you realize that, that, that Satan has built up some area of influence in your life. You know, it's not time to tinker around at that point. It's time to take out the machete, the samurai sword, whatever, and lop the thing off. And, 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 and I just love this. This guy, and this is, he's only getting started here, by the way. Nehemiah, intense dude. He just goes in there and he just throws out all of Tobiah's belongings. He, he throws them out here. Uh, verse 9, Then I commanded them to cleanse the room, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also realized, so this is like another issue he found out. And so, you know, l- Satan had been having a field day with these folks. had weaseled his way back in here. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them, and so they were, did not work and had gone back to the field. So they had not been taken care of. Uh, the people, the Levites, had uh, a duty to 
minister in the temple, to teach people the word of God, uh, to minister to the people, but they weren't supported anymore, and so they had they'd gone back out into the field so they can f- support themselves. They were supposed to be supported so they could minister to the people. That was not happening. Verse 11, so I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed his treasures over the storehouse. And then he goes, verse 14, Remember me, O God, uh, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its service. In those days I saw people in Judah treading presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the days on which they were selling provisions And so men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and Jerusalem. And the men of Tyre were were people who were not Jews, who were not, God was not, Jehovah was not their Lord, and they had tempted them with all these goods. And how often, how it breaks our hearts when people come up to us and say, well, you know, I just got this job offer or this promotion, but I have to work all Sunday and I can't come to church. Well, what is that? That's like the men of Tyre coming in and drawing you away. Same thing. No difference. Happens to this very day. This is a kind of spiritual warfare to try to tear down the walls again. Verse 17, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? So the whole Jerusalem was wiped out because they had disobeyed the Sabbath. And he is telling them, what do you want? You want this to happen again? Is what he's saying here. Verse 19, so it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burden would uh, be brought in on the Sabbath day. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's calling these people back to, Jeru- uh, back to um, repentance. Verse 21, and then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay my hands on you. So these people are, who are not Jews are outside the wall of Jerusalem sort of with their wares, with their merchandise, trying to tempt the Jewish people, to disobey their, their Lord. And so he's, now he's not only going, uh, he's coming against his, his, his own people, he's coming against the people who are not Jews, who are outside the gates. This guy was not one to mess with. Woo. And verse 22, And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath. Remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Verse 23, in those days, I also saw Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of uh, or the other people. And so I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair. And made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, 
I went over this when we were in the book of Ezra, where at the end of the book of Ezra, Ezra commanded them to put away their wives, which were from foreign nations. Remember, we talked about how that was a specific thing with Israel. Can't put away your wife or your husband because he or she, uh, she or he is an unbeliever because we're in the new covenant, and this applied specifically to Israel. What's going on here? This is the messianic line. This is, there's a lot of stake here in keeping Israel preserved as a nation. If they get watered down, remember, their kids aren't even learning Hebrew. Their kids are starting to worship foreign gods. There's this assimilation happening. Remember, this is the incredible thing about Israel. It's the only country for thousands and thousands of years that has kept its ethnic identity, kept its law, kept its culture. Every other, you know, most every other uh, ethnic people within just a few generations, they're wiped out. And that's what's beginning to happen here. Satan always wants to wipe out the Jews. He, did, he, he, used, he wanted to wipe them out then. He wants to wipe them out today they, because they have a, a plan still yet to come. And, and that's what is, what's going on here. And these women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, again, it's not like it, it, you've got to understand what's going on here. They were drawing the Jews into, uh, to, to appear to have been drawing them to, to worship their gods. And, and, and so there was, it, w- it was really an evil thing uh, taking place. And uh, uh, it says here, verse 26, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. You know, it's unbelievable how we do not have a healthy fear of our own flesh. We somehow think that you know, well, we can get away, you know, with, you know, dating an unbeliever or, you know, maybe you're dating a, a, a believer and, and, you know, you start getting too physical, you know, you're not going to go all the way, but you'll go part of the way. But, you know, I, 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 I can take this, you know, this type of thing. And it, it, he's saying here, look, even Solomon couldn't do what, what you think you can do. Why do you think... Why do you think your flesh is going to be able to, you know, withstand being brought into great sin? And so there's nothing more better for people than uh, for, you know, uh, than to have a healthy fear of their own flesh. I was speaking to a pastor this week who, whose wife had committed adultery. It was just an awful thing. Although the, the Lord's doing grace, great things in his life, she had actually divorced him and left and... His son now, who is a pastor, had a talk with him and said, look, I'm kind of scared that my mother would do this type of thing. I wonder if it's in the blood, you know. And, and, and I remember discussing with this pastor, well, you know, that's a good thing that he's thinking that. That's a good thing. It is in his blood. And it's a good fear to have uh, of our own flesh. And it's nothing better for that guy who's a pastor now to realize, yes, he is capable of doing the same thing that his mother did. And, and here, you know, if, if so he's saying, look, if Solomon of all people, I mean, Solomon is the wisest person who ever lived, went, uh, did this, he's saying you can too. And then in verse 28 it says, and one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite, therefore I drove him with me, from me. So this guy is just cleaning house. <laughs> he's just cleaning house. 
And who, who, you know, this is, this is a wonderful scene of righteousness here. And it, all, it does make me think of someone else who cleaned house. And Jesus Christ went into the temple. You know, sometimes we think Jesus was just the softy, gentle sort of guy who was in, incapable of, you know, a show of brute force. Well, <laughs> that wasn't the case. He took out scourges and emptied out the temple. He did Nehemiah times ten. You know, Nehemiah had all his friends helping him here. I doubt those apostles were helping Jesus. They were probably running for cover from where they were at. He just went in, did it all himself, drove them all out, every one of them. He purified the temple of God. And so a, a, a great uh, picture here, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in the most perfect sense. Re- verse 29, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood. So this high priest, one of his sons, he goes out and he marries one of Sam Ballot's daughters. How crazy is that? That's how low that they had been getting here. But Nehemiah comes in. Remember who Nehemiah is? He is, his name is what? Comforter, Holy Spirit. This is a foreshadowing of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, Ezra means helper and also a name of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and 16, translations for the word paracletes, what the word for Holy Spirit is helper, comforter. But remember now in Ezra, what did Ezra do when he saw the, the Jews marry women for, of other gods? What did he do? He pulled out his own beard. And they were really convicted about that. They're like, whoa, this really holy guy here is pulling out his beard. And they repented, didn't they? You know, the Holy Spirit was grieved, and and that's how it is in our life sometimes where we realize we've grieved the Holy Spirit, and it causes us to repent. But you know something? After a while, the Holy Spirit, he's grieved, he's grieved, he's grieved. If he's not getting his way, he's going to come and pull your beard out. And that's what happens right here. You know, first time, you know, Ezra pulls his own beard out. Enough of that. You guys just don't get it. I'm going to pull your beard out. And praise God that God does that with us. Blessed are you when you're chastened. Because what child is not chastened by his father? And, and, and that's what happens here. So there's a time of, of purification here. And so, you know, regrettably, that time of great celebration, that, that time of rejoicing, uh, you'd think they'd want to continue it forever. But there's that spiritual warfare. And, you know, I just praise the Lord because we have, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have a greater than Nehemiah, a greater than Esther living inside of us. So we can live the very life that they are advocating here. And they're fighting so hard for here. We can live uh, that kind of life by the power and by the strength of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful picture. And then he... You know, he's talking about all these things. Verse 30, Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, to his service, and to bring the wood offerings and the first fruits at, at a point in time. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Don't get tripped up by Nehemiah saying that, by the way. You know, the first time I read that, that's a little weird. What a selfish prayer. Remember me, 
oh my God, for good. I mean, what kind of motive uh, is that? Well, you know, I, I, when it comes down to this, this is, there's nothing at all wrong with this. He's just verbalizing a cry that we should have, all have on our own hearts, you know, as we're serving the Lord. Um, crying out to the Lord, bearing um, our heart. He's off, I, I get the picture here. He's just in pain, having to do all this. You know, I hate having to do all this, Lord. Please just, I'm doing this for you. I hope you remember this, Lord. <laughs> you know, sometimes it comes down to that. You know, when we're obeying and when we're obeying, we're doing something that is really, really hard to do. And we're, and we're literally having to hurt people by serving the Lord. And we're hurting them for good. Of course, we always give the truth in love, but sometimes the love really, really hurts. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I think of sometimes when I do marriage counseling, oh, it's just so brutal. It's like, remember, you know, after I finish, remember me, oh Lord, for good, because this, I don't like this, Lord. And, and there, that, that guy, that woman's in a lot of pain after that discussion I just had with him. But um, remember me, oh, for, I just like it because he's just being honest with the Lord. And that's, that's, what the, that's what God wants from all of us. He just wants us to be honest with him. And so the book of Nehemiah, this is an amazing book, and I just hope this is like, this is a book that you'll go back into yourselves and and really just meditate on and study, and because it's a it, it is a picture of of how spiritual warfare and how we can have victory. Victory. Before we end in prayer, I just want to want to. Uh,